Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Monday the 5th of October. I'm Tom Tilley. And I'm Annika Smethurst. Today we're bringing you a special on sleep. Yeah, we're just going to sleep for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will spend the whole episode on sleep. We will be awake though. Um, did you sleep in this morning? Maybe you had every right to. It is a public holiday in most of the country. And if you were meant to get up, did you struggle? And was that because of daylight saving, which came into effect in some states on the weekend? Yeah, last month, the US American Academy of Sleep changed its position on daylight savings. They've come out against it, citing new research about the health impacts of moving the clocks forward. I didn't realise this, but most countries actually don't have daylight saving. About a third do, and it seems there's a growing push against it. The EU has voted to actually stop daylight saving from 2021. Yeah, and in Australia, we're already divided on it. Western Australia, the Northern Territory and Queensland don't do it, while the rest of the country does. So shout out to you if you lost an hour of sleep yesterday. You love it, don't you, Annika? Can't get enough of it. After a really cold winter in Canberra, there's nothing better than long days, being able to go to the pub or go to the park and just have that extra hour of daylight. Well, the thing is, and the reason I'm not so hooked on it, is that we already get extra daylight. Like, that's what happens in summer. The days are longer. So I don't really understand why we need to exaggerate it more and make it harder for us real night owls to get to bed. (laughs) I don't like going to the pub at 5am, Tom, so I like my extra hour of daylight at the end of the day. All right. Well, let's get the latest sleep science on daylight savings. Uh, Dr. Kanan Romar is the president of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, Kenan, thanks for joining us. Why is daylight savings time harmful? A lot of studies have been looking at the the adverse consequences related to daylight savings, particularly as one moves from a standard time to daylight savings time. Good data have emerged recently and... um, and, and and at least let me touch upon a few of those. Uh, one, there was an abstract that was recently presented, presented at the uh, National Sleep Meeting where it showed an 18% increase in adverse medical events related to human error in the week after switching to daylight savings time. Similarly, we've all known uh, from other studies that traffic accidents increase in the first few days after the switch to daylight savings time. And this increase in uh, traffic accidents uh, accounts for about 6% in the United States, at least at this point. Similarly, there's also an increased risk for cardiovascular events, particularly atrial fibrillation and uh, myocardial ischemia, heart attacks, and mood disturbances that seems to happen following the annual spring forward uh, to daylight savings time. So this is usually during the springtime each year. So those are just a few of the adverse consequences or effects related to moving from standard to daylight savings time. And also, I think if as one moves to daylight savings time, it's not conducive from a circadian cycle or circadian rhythm point of view when you look at the human body. Uh, what do I mean by that? So if you look at the time when we go to daylight savings, it's still pretty dark in the morning and there's a lot of light in the evening. And ideally, it should be the other way around. It should, uh, in, in order to maintain our circadian cycle so that we go to bed at a certain time and wake up sometime by 6 or 7 in the morning uh, and to go to bed by around 9 or 10 in the evening. Do we know that those adverse events like cardiac problems and car accidents um, happen because of the shift in daylight saving? Like, is there proof of causation or is it just correlation? 
So that's a good question. And I think it's more of a correlation at this point, because if you look at the data closely, all these tend to happen pretty closely uh, about one week after the when the time shift happens. Of course, to prove causality, what you really need is a randomized controlled trial uh, looking at uh, half the page people being maintained on the same standard time uh, for the next week or two while the other being randomized to shifting to a, a daylight savings time and then follow them up to see what's going on. They're pretty alarming figures, though. As someone who loves daylight saving personally, could we just run an ad campaign to make sure people drive a little bit safer or maybe don't operate heavy machinery in the days after the clocks changes? <laughs> like, obviously, there must be good benefits of daylight saving, isn't there? People are out at the pub and at restaurants exercising more. Are they things you wait up? The back and forth shift uh, is on both from an acute and long-term perspective is not conducive. It's almost like um, having jet lag. You're traveling across, indirectly traveling across multiple time zones within that time period. Uh, and um, and uh, so for the first few days till the body gets used to that change by an hour or so, or first few nights where it takes time to get accustomed to that change, that's where you see these adverse effects. The question is, is that outweighing the benefits, some of the benefits that you allude to is a good question. But at least for us, I think it's pretty clearly obvious that the the back and forth and the other benefits that you might actually potentially get outweighs the risk that tends to happen with, with the shift at this stage. The good old days, I mean, I, I think this goes back to the question of why did we get into these uh, concept of daylight savings and standard time? It's not entirely clear, but the few thoughts are related to maybe an idea that came from uh, Benjamin Franklin, where the thought was people were could use less candles at night and thereby save some uh, cash money related to that and candles to go along with it. But it also subsequently was also related to uh, reducing electric consumption by extending daylight hours. And in fact, now with our energy conservation, energy efficiency, that's not an issue anymore at this particular stage. So more risk of a heart attack, but my candle usage will drop. Uh, I've grown up always in places that have had uh, daylight saving, but it's only about a third of the world that does this. So I wondered over the period of my life, if I've only ever lived in a place with daylight saving, how damaging is this going to be to my health? So uh, what we do know from a science perspective is the more light you get exposed in the evening, even if it's on a consistent basis throughout the year uh, with the daylight savings time co- continuing, the exposure of light in the evening will uh, shift your body clock to a later time period, which means there's going to be a tendency for people f- to wanting to go to bed later and waking up later so if there's an activity that you're going to end up needing to do in the morning, whether it's driving or any cognitive related function, so if you're in an important meeting at 8 o'clock in the morning when the body clock is shifted to a later time period, maybe your ability to function may not be as good as if it was that 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. Okay, so it affects our performance, driving a car in a meeting, uh, recording a podcast potentially. <laughs> um, we get up very early for this one, by the way. Um, but is it is it actually impacting our health? The answer is yes. Um, there's no good causality study uh, to say that. But again, it goes back to extrapolation of data from what happens when people 
uh, travel across time zones, which is uh, indirectly what tends to happen with daylight savings time, um, is increased cancer risk that tends to happen. So if you look at flight attendants, pilots who are traveling across multiple time zones, they are at a little higher risk for uh, malignancy cancers overall compared to uh, people who don't uh, travel as much as they do. Whether that it can be extrapolated to this is a good question to ask, and I don't think we have data to say that. But there is, uh, uh, those are the adverse consequences from a medical health perspective, apart from heart attacks, irregular heartbeats like atrial fibrillation. It, it could potentially put people at risk for other unwanted uh, medical side effects that we don't have good data yet at this point, but at least there's enough science and information from previously conducted studies uh, re related to jet lag that could potentially be extrapolated out here. Are we talking about a big increase in those health risks or something fairly negligible? It's, uh, I, I would probably say it's more in the mild to moderate range in terms of risk. So the American Academy of Sleep is now advising against daylight saving. Is that true? Uh, our, you're right. Our uh, position is that we uh, go away from daylight savings and stick to standard time throughout the year. I hope that we stick with it and I'll just buy a darker pair of curtains. Is that a good way to get over this if I, if I just convince my body that it's dark outside? I think it goes back to good sleep hygiene measures. And maybe I can just list a few of those right now. So one, as we talked about, I think one of the, the main triggers for our body clock to shift is light. So if there's a way we can minimize light exposure in the evening, uh, and maximize our light exposure the first thing we wake up in the morning, that might mitigate some of these uh, adverse effects related to change in timings uh, from daylights to standard and vice versa. The other is uh, something similar to what we recommend when you're going to be at risk for jet lag. Maybe a few days or a week prior to starting to shift the body clock a little bit uh, to accommodate that change would mitigate some of those motor vehicle accidents, maybe meetings in the mornings. All those could potentially be mitigated within that first week till the body clock gets readjusted to the time difference of one hour. That was Dr. Kanan Romar, the president of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. And it feels like the downsides and the health impacts are something you can mitigate if you're aware of them. Yeah, I don't know about slowly easing in and setting my clock out you know, a week before. It might mean yeah. I miss a few schedules. But look, it does seem that we can get around these issues. I'm still, it, it's, I'm not convinced we need to scrap it just yet, Dom. Yeah, well, if you can work around them and not have those car crashes, then maybe we can <laughs> stick with it. Let's get an Australian perspective on this. Dr. Gemma Paik is a senior sleep scientist with the Sleep Foundation. Where do you stand on daylight saving from a health and wellbeing point of view? Um, personally, my professional opinion is that daylight saving is not the most ideal for our health and wellbeing, um, mostly because of all of the impacts that it has on your sleep and mental health and general health. Gemma, I absolutely hate hearing this because I'm a big lover of daylight saving. How about the good stuff? You know, you're out there exercising more or is it just nothing can make up for the fact we're going to get heart disease and, and crash our cars? 
it's definitely not all bad. Um, and for sure, there are a lot of people that do really like it and do find that it is quite helpful for them. And I think in terms of, you know, if you are more of an evening person, so you like to be um, up later at night, daylight savings actually is fantastic for you. But for those people that are maybe more morning people who like to get up early in the morning, it can be quite hard. So if we were to stop switching like Queensland does, would you recommend that we stick with the summertime or the wintertime? I guess there's pros and cons for both. <laughs> um, and I don't know which one is necessarily better. I think it's more just about having a consistent time. So it would just be a debate, I guess, about which which one might work better for people. But it's really just the abrupt shift that we have where you revert back one hour and it's not so much the change from daylight savings to standard time, it's the change from standard time or winter time to the daylight savings time that's the problematic one. So it's really about the shifting, not necessarily the time per se. Suits me. After we jump in, we can just stay in that new time zone. I want to know about sleep in general. I travel a fair bit and last year I went overseas quite a lot changing time zones. I didn't realise the sort of effect that could be having on me. How can we minimise, I guess, when we do, when we're forced to change time zone, even if we're flying from Perth to Sydney, how can we make that less harmful in our bodies? I guess the best thing to do, particularly with travel and even with daylight savings time, is to try and adjust your body clock before the time shift um, as much as you can. So, for example, now with daylight savings time, if you're going to an earlier time, you want to try and shift your sleep a little bit earlier. So you want to try and get up a little bit earlier in the mornings um, and go to bed a little bit earlier. Try and get bright light in the morning time to sort of help shift your body clock a little bit. Um, and then by doing that gradually over a few days or a week, it, it kind of lessens the impact because it's not such an abrupt shift. And another general sleep question um For people who are doing shift work, how beneficial is napping? Let's say you lose two hours sleep in the morning because you're getting up earlier than you normally would. Does having a two-hour nap at some point later in the day make up for that? Yes and no. Um, With shift work, my general consensus is try and get as much sleep as you can when you can, um, just because it's very hard sometimes to get a, particularly if you're working night shift, it can be very hard to get like a consolidated sleep period during the daytime because your body clock's sort of saying you should be awake while you're sleeping. And so for people like that, I would suggest, yes, have a two-hour nap. But for the rest of us who are maybe working standard kind of daylight hours, um, a two-hour nap for some people might actually impinge on their nighttime sleep. So then they might find it harder to try and fall asleep at night. Um, and so I would suggest that in those cases, it's better to have a shorter a shorter nap, so keeping okay. it sort of half an hour or less. How much sleep should we be getting? People say eight hours. I personally go for about seven. Can we sleep too much? You can sleep too much. And in terms of sleep duration, it's a bit of a U-curve. So if you sort of get too less or, or not enough sleep, there's negative um, effects of that. And then the other side of it is that if you have too much, so sort of nine or 10 hours, then that's sort of shown to have an increased risk of mortality and morbidity as well. So it's really this kind of golden ratio of around sort of six to nine hours for adults It does vary depending on the age of the individual. So younger people and younger adults need a little bit more and then older people might not need 
quite, you know, eight or nine hours. They might be okay with six or seven. And how about falling asleep? I'm a pretty good sleeper, but I know some people do struggle and have different routines or different things they need to take to help them get to sleep. How long should we persist? If you're lying in bed for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45, when should you, I guess, start and try something else? Get up and have a shower, have hot milk, whatever suits you. So around half an hour is probably a guide. Um, But I guess the thing to be aware of is that sometimes in that period of initial falling asleep, you might actually be drifting off to sleep and having quite light sleep. And you might not actually feel like you've been asleep yet. And so it's really kind of like this hard balance. But if you've definitely been lying in bed and you're getting really frustrated that you can't sleep and you're struggling to fall asleep, that's the point that we suggest that you get out of bed and do something else to try and calm yourself down. So like you said, maybe having a hot shower or having some milk, reading a book for a little bit in some lower lighting, not turning on all of the lights in your house. No Um, iPhones, I assume. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So trying to do relaxing activities and then go back to bed when you feel calm, because the idea is if you get too frustrated by the fact that you can't sleep, it's going to make it so much harder to sleep. And just lastly, people in Melbourne have been living under lockdown for months now. What's been the the negative impacts that that's had on people's sleep uh, in terms of health and well-being? Yeah, so we found that a lot of people that have been in this sort of social isolation or lockdown period, that that is having negative impacts on their sleep and people's sleep is becoming quite disrupted. Um, And it is a little bit hard when you're in lockdown because you're limited to how much time you can spend outdoors. Um, But I would suggest for those people, as much as you can, make sure that your bedroom is just for sleeping. If you can, try and not do work and all the all your other activities in your bedroom, kind of leave it as a protected space. Try and get outside as much as you can, ideally in the morning. So go outside for some exercise in the morning to get some bright light exposure, which will help you sleep a little bit. Um, and then, you know, you also need to be careful about what you're eating and drinking. Those kinds of things can impact our sleep as well. But yes, it has had negative impacts um, on our sleep and it is an unfortunate fortunate situation that we can't really do a whole lot about until the lockdowns are lifted. That was Dr Gemma Paik. Annika, she justified our napping habits. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried about that. I like to get all my sleep at the one time, but it is good to know if you miss out, you can catch up. Tomorrow on The Briefing, what's going on in Sweden? Is their controversial coronavirus approach starting to come good? A Podcast One production.